You are the sovereign. Uh, as we just sang, thank you for these songs, for these truths. You're, you're the one true God. You are the one who knows us, knows our lives, our circumstances. And we are just praying for your grace and mercy and comfort for Danny this morning and for Travis and Sean and Heather and their families and uh, all of those who are so close to Teresa. We are so thankful for her and for her life and her love for you. And we are thankful that she is resting peacefully in your arms this morning, free from pain and illness that has plagued her these last months. In the meantime, Lord, just strengthen our bonds together as a family as we care for them during these days. And we pray for our brother Sean as well. We ask strength for him. Thank you for guiding the doctor's hands on Friday and yesterday as they did these surgeries. We just ask you will give him physical strength to get back on his feet and spiritually too that he will learn even more to trust you and to place his life in your hands. And really that's what you ask for all of us, Lord, as we, we take these moments apart from life to come together, to, to worship, to open your word, to encourage and challenge each other. It's, it's that we would place ourselves in your hands and that we would be obedient to what you are calling us to. And we pray that these next few moments will be helpful as we learn that uh, ever more in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, folks. You can be seated. And thank you for being sensitive to the needs of our church body. That's part of the reason why we're here uh, together this morning, for sure. Uh, how many people have ever seen a worldometer? <clears throat> Let me explain what a worldometer is. Uh, you can go online, like everything else in this world, you can Google it, and it'll pop up pretty quick. Don't Google it right now. Robert, I see you on your phone back there. Get off your phone. Stop Googling worldometers. Uh, you can Google a worldometer, and what you're going to find is a, a, like a population counter, and it's real time. You can watch that thing spin. Click, 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 click. As someone is born, every second or more around the world, somebody is born. If you clicked on a worldometer this morning, you'd find out that there are 7.8 billion people in this world right now. 7.8 billion people. The top three countries in our world in terms of population, China, 1.4 billion people. Does anybody know number two? India, 1.3 billion people. Actually, if you watch that worldometer right now, you'll see China's uh, counter going like this, and India's is going like this. <laughs> India is going to be the largest country in the world here in two or three years. They're going to overtake China. United States is number three at 330 million. So China's over four times the size of the United States of America. But we watch that and we find out that there's already 3.6 million more people in the world today on January 19th than there was on January 1st. That's how fast the population of our, of our world is growing. And that matters because as we open God's Word this morning, I'm going to challenge you as we look into 1 Timothy chapter 2 to turn our focus away from just our community here. Now, we talk a lot about our community. We minister to our community, and we want to continue to do that. We know that God has called us to do that. But I want you to think a little bit broader than that this morning. 
don't just think about our community, but think about our whole country, and keep going past that and think about our entire world, if you would. Uh, the last one of the last things that Jesus said to his disciples after he rose from the grave, before he ascended into heaven, was to give them a command. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 28. We commonly call it the Great Commission. Does anybody know how that starts? Jesus says to the disciples, Go into all the world, go to all nations, and share the gospel. Now, there's an interesting fact about that word nations. It doesn't mean countries. The word that Jesus uses there is the Greek word ethne. Ethne, does that sound familiar at all to a word that we have in our English language? Ethne is where we get our word ethnic, okay? I'm really starting to revisit. I don't know if Arnold's here. I'm really starting to revisit not letting you have caffeine in here this morning. Uh, don't tell Arnold I said this, but if you need to, just bring it in with you. We've we got to get, you know, I want to make sure you're awake to hear this. Ethne, ethnic. And what Jesus was saying to the disciples, if we were going to be a little bit more literal in our translation, he wasn't saying go to every country. He was really saying, I want you to go to every people group, every ethnic group, in the entire world. Well, why does that matter? There's 195 countries in the world, but there are a lot more ethnic groups, a lot more people groups than that. Uh, Nigeria is a country in West Africa. If you're looking at the map and you know the shape of Africa, right there on the curve, Nigeria. Nigeria is one country, but there are hundreds of people groups in that one country. I was Googling it and trying to figure out. And one place I looked at said there are 150 ethnic groups in Nigeria. Then another said there are 250 ethnic groups. Another one said there are 500 ethnic groups in Nigeria. Uh, bottom line is we don't know. There are hundreds of them. 195 countries in the world, but 17,000 people groups. Groups of people that identify with their own particular culture and their own way of life and sometimes even their own language. Thousands of these people groups all over the world have almost no Christ followers in them. Almost none. 3,000 of these people groups don't have anyone sharing the gospel with them. No one is telling them about Jesus. No one is trying to plant churches in their areas that they live in. Why is that important? Well, we are so blessed in this country with so many opportunities to hear God's word. We have so many churches, so many Bibles, so many radio stations, so many books, so many websites, so many apps, so many podcasts. So many people who know the truth. And yet, there's a lot of people here in our country that don't know Jesus, isn't there? Imagine the countries, imagine the people groups around the world who have none of this. Imagine how many of them need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, we're looking at 1 Timothy, and we're talking about life in the church. We're talking about doing God's work, God's way. And Paul starts with some priorities for the church that we've looked at the last couple of weeks. Tim talked to us a couple of weeks ago about standing up for the truth. 
watching out for people who will come in to the church or who will try to bombard the church from the outside in our culture and take away from the truth. So we have to stand up for the truth. And then last week we talked about the priority of gratitude because gratitude is what motivates us to serve. It's what motivates us to tell other people. And Paul continues here in talking to Timothy and challenges us to pray for people's salvation. When we look at the Great Commission, we look at all the times when Jesus commanded us to go and do this, we see that the main responsibility of the Christ follower is to reach the lost. When Jesus was getting ready to leave, he said, okay, this is what I want you to remember. Go to all the people and share the truth. That's what I want you to do. And so if it's the main responsibility for us as Christ followers, then obviously it is vital to us as a church. Now, there are a lot of important things about church. There's a lot of important things about being together. It's why we dig out of the snow here in Maine and get to church, right? I got to go home after we're done and dig out my driveway. Tim got me out and I crawled out over the snow and now I got to go shovel it. Why do I do that? Because it's important to be here. It's important for us to fellowship together. It's important for us to grow in our understanding of the Bible. It's important for us to be the disciples that God has called us to. But it's not just those things. How many of you have ever said this or you've heard someone say something like this when life is difficult? Why doesn't Jesus just take us out of here? How many people have ever said that or thought it? When things are really going terrible, why do we have to be here? Why doesn't God just take us out? I mean, why, at the moment that you trust God for salvation, why doesn't he just go, zip, you're out, you're gone? He doesn't just take us out of here because there must be evangelism. We must share what we know with other people. And this is what I want you to understand this morning from these verses. We need to pray for the salvation of every person. Because salvation is every person's greatest need. Look at what Paul has to say to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to read the first seven verses for you. He says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Now, you may have read these verses before or heard someone read them before and, and heard someone use these verses to challenge us to pray. To challenge people to pray, and of course that's a good thing, we need to be praying. But I want you to understand this morning that this passage is not just about generally praying for people. 
if we were to just take the first two verses and, and, and pull them out of the context, we would say, hey, we need to pray for people. It's true, we do. But if you leave it in here and you keep these verses together the way that it looks like Paul intended, that the Holy Spirit intended for us to read them all together, you would see the emphasis on salvation. All of this is one thought that goes together. And in verse 1, we see four different words for prayer, four different types of prayer perhaps. And maybe you've seen someone take each of these words and say, this is this kind of praying and that's that kind of praying. And that's fine. We can do that. But I think what Paul is doing is emphasizing the personal aspect of prayer for people and salvation. What he's telling us is this. He's saying, look, if you're a Christ follower here this morning, and I would guess that most of you are, if you're a Christ follower, when you spend time in the morning or in the afternoon or in the evening or in the car or whenever you pray, don't just say, God, I hope people get saved. I want people to get saved. He wants us to be more personal than that. One of the words that he uses there in verse 1 is intercessions. The word intercessions means I am going, at least mentally and emotionally and spiritually, into where this person is, and I'm feeling what they're feeling, and I'm understanding what they're going to, through, and I'm praying that they would get saved. That implies that I know somebody who needs to be saved, by the way. That's important for us as Christ followers, that we don't, we don't isolate ourselves and separate ourselves from people who need God so that we can know where they are and know what they need. Now I want you to see that Paul is talking about that kind of empathy and that kind of advocacy. He says, who should we be praying for? Whose salvation? All people. All people. So are you and I going to literally pray for every person in the world to be saved? Well, not individually, obviously. We can't do that. But who do you know? Actually, the, the phrase all people here really cares with the idea of all kinds of people. All kinds of people. What happens in our lives as we get older and as we structure our lives? We kind of pick and choose who we're friends with, right? We kind of say, well, I'm going to hang out with this person, but maybe not this person quite so much. And this is, uh, these are my kind of people, and these are not my kind of people. I'm going to spend my time here and not here. God's saying as Christ followers, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't limit ourselves to just people who are like us. We should be praying for the salvation of all kinds of people, even people who are not like us, perhaps especially for people who are not like us. Now, verse 2 is interesting because Paul says we need to be praying for all people, for kings and those who are in high positions. Well, we don't have a king in this country, but we have a president. We have senators, we have governors, we have representatives. We need to be praying for our leaders, government authorities, officials, those that are those that are over us, those that are leading us. Why should we be praying for them? Well, we should be praying for them because they have a lot of responsibility. 
One of the reasons I'm glad that I don't have television is because I don't have to watch all the political ads. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but we have elections in this country, federal elections, you know, once every four years for president and all that stuff. And usually we get through one election, we go about six or eight months, and then the ads start for the next one, three and a half years later. And we sit back and we armchair quarterback it, right? And we say, if I was in there, man, they get paid a lot of money to go in there to Washington and screw up our lives. Well, guess what, friends? It's a free country. You are free to run for that office and collect that paycheck, and you can do it. You know what? It's a lot of responsibility. I'm not saying I agree with all of it, because I don't, but it's a lot of responsibility. We should be praying for them. We should be praying for our president, for our senators, for our representatives, for our governors, for our state officials. It's a lot of responsibility. And Paul reminds us to pray for their salvation because they are often neglected. We don't think about them. Here we are in Oxford Hills, Maine, and we're just living life. We're not thinking about Washington. We're not thinking about Augusta. we got enough things to think about. So Paul says, Pray for their salvation. Remember them. Make sure they are on your list. We need to pray for their salvation, maybe perhaps most of all, because we have a tendency to feel animosity toward them. Don't we? Think about how often you talk about our elected officials and try to have two columns and think, these are the times I talk favorably about them and these are the times I complain about them. Right? Paul says, pray for the salvation of your leaders, for those who are in authority over you. You may be sitting there and you may say, well, Paul didn't have any clue what we were dealing with here. He didn't know what this mess is that we've got going on, whatever it is. I don't even like to... I got rid of the TV, now I can't even click on my computer, and it's all over the place. He didn't understand. You know what? Paul understood. You know who was the leader, the emperor, when Paul was writing, pray for your leaders? Nero. I don't know how much you know about Nero, but he murdered his own mother, he murdered his first wife, and he probably murdered his second wife when she was pregnant with their child. He was a vile, cruel, vicious person who hated Christians. And what does Paul say? Pray for the salvation of Nero. Friends, the key to changing a nation is not getting a new leader. It is the salvation of its people, including its leaders. This country is not going to change in November if we elect someone different. It's going to change if our leaders begin coming to Christ and our people begin coming to Christ. That's what's going to change. Pray for the salvation of all people. Now you notice there in verse 3, Paul says that this pleases God. Why does it please God? Why does God want us to pray for people's salvation? Let's understand why. Three reasons, quickly. Number one, because God desires all people to be saved. 
That's what verse 4 says. God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. This is what God wants. God wants people to know who he is. God wants people to trust him. In Acts 17.30, Paul says God desires all people everywhere to repent. In Ezekiel 33, verse 11, Ezekiel tells us that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Have you ever heard of someone, perhaps a particularly vile person, maybe a serial killer here in our country or a terrorist in another country, and you've heard about that person dying, either being brought to justice and executed or killed in a strike or something like that, and have you ever thought, good, that guy won't hurt anybody anymore? Now, that may be true, but I want you to know something about the heart of God, my friends. He takes no pleasure in that. Now, God has no desire for innocent people to be hurt either, and he calls us to justice. But God takes no pleasure in the death even of a wicked person. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13, Paul says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The church must pray for the salvation of people in this world because their salvation is God's desire. And it's appropriate for us as God's people to want what God wants. We must not take pleasure in the death, even of wicked people. What's the most popular verse in the entire Bible? John 3.16, right? I bet almost everybody can tell me the first six words of John 3.16. I bet you can. You ready? Here we go. For God so loved the world. We pray for the salvation of people because God's desire is that people get saved. Here's the second reason. We pray for the salvation of people because there's only one God. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm sitting here this morning and I'm singing and I look at Melody and I say, man, these songs. <laughs> I, I appreciate Catherine and, and Melody and Joe and Tyra and everybody that picks out the songs. I mean, every song, I, I hope you were paying attention because I almost didn't think I needed to get up here. You are the what? One true God. Why should we pray for the salvation of people? Because there is only one God, and that is completely counter to our culture. Our culture is not teaching people there is only one true God. Our culture is saying, divinity is in you. It's in there. You just got to get it out. That's humanistic teaching. It's been around since Eden. You have what you need inside of you. What's that teaching? That teaching is that there are 7.8 billion gods. Every person is their own god. Or we could look at religions like Hinduism in the second largest and fastest growing country in this world, India. 
where 98 plus percent of people are Hindu. Hinduism teaches that there are thousands of gods. Many religions and many gods. It was true in Ephesus when Paul was writing. If you're here a couple of weeks ago, Tim told us that in Ephesus they worshiped the goddess Diana. That was their deity. Friends, we need to pray for people's salvation because they need to know there is only one true God. They need to know that. It's very obvious as we look around our world that people do not know that. Here's the third reason we need to pray for people's salvation. Number three, because there's only one way to be saved. There's only one way to be saved. Verse 5 says, there is one mediator between God and man. There's not only one God, but there's only one way to Him. We cannot approach God for salvation through angels, through saints, through Mary, through other people. We cannot find our way to God through, through empty meditation or by charitable deeds or by depriving ourselves of earthly things or, or trying not to do wrong things. There are not many ways to God. There is only one way. Now, unfortunately, there are a lot of churches in our world today who are saying the exact opposite. There are many ways to God. Hey, whatever works for you, as long as you get there. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what God himself says. I think God is in heaven saying, why are you telling people that? That's not what I said. I said, there is one true God, that's me, and there is only one way to come to me, and that's Jesus. John 14, 6, another one of the verses that some of you may have memorized. Jesus said, I am the what? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Acts 4.12, Peter says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we can be saved. There's no other name but Jesus. Most people don't know that, don't believe that, so we need to pray for them. People are trying hundreds and thousands of ways of getting to God. But the only way is Jesus. That's it. There's no exceptions. There's no excuses. There's no shortcuts, no side paths. In my conversation with people over years of doing this, I've heard so many people say, but they're so sincere. And someone passes away, but they were such a nice person. That may be true. May be incredibly sincere. They may have been unfailingly nice, incomparably generous. But there are no exceptions. When God says there's one way, that means there's one way. He is the mediator. Jesus is the mediator. Literally, the intervener. There's no way before him. And Jesus came and said, I'm going to make a way. He's the ransom. Not just did he pay the ransom, but he is the ransom. Jesus looked at us. He understood, obviously, being very God himself. He understood the holiness of God. 
And he did not say, just a second here, let me take care of that ransom for you. No, he said, I am the ransom. He didn't say, let me just do something, let me give something. He said, I'm it. I'll take your place. For all. He paid the ransom, it says, for all. Why do we pray for all people to be saved? Because his sacrifice is sufficient for all. Now, will all come to Christ and be saved? No, they won't. But his sacrifice is sufficient for all. If more people come to Christ, does Christ need to go back and die again? Does he need to pay another price? Does he need to do more so that more people can get saved? No. He already gave the ransom for all. And so we must pray for all, even if all will not come. Christ follower, if you are here this morning and you know and understand the truth of God's love and Jesus' sacrifice, then I urge you this morning, here it is again, folks, drill it into your minds, pray for the salvation of every person. Because salvation is every person's greatest need. Hands down, there's no exceptions to this statement. And you may be sitting here this morning and, and hopefully you're thinking about what we're talking about and what God is telling us. You may say, well, yeah, but what if a person is starving? Isn't that their greatest need if they're starving? Listen to me. If a person is starving and they do not know God, what happens if they die? They will spend eternity without Christ. Without exception, every person's greatest need is salvation. There is a fate worse than physical death. It is spiritual death. Now, we need to care about people's physical needs. We need to. We're commanded to. Jesus said, if you see someone that's hungry, give them food. If you see someone that's naked, give them clothes. If you see someone that's in jail, go visit them. Care for their physical needs. And we must do that as a church. We are doing that. We need to keep doing that. But ultimately, every day that a person lives matters because it's another chance for them to hear the gospel. That's what Peter's talking about in 2 Peter 3 when he says, you know, a lot of people say, why doesn't God come back? Why doesn't Christ come back? Why don't we just end this? What a mess. Just end it, God. And Peter says, look, God is not desiring anyone to perish, but they would all come to repentance. Every day that Christ does not come back is another opportunity for someone to hear the gospel. That's why in verse 7 of this passage we read, Paul said, For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying, a teacher 
of the Gentiles in faith and truth. This is why we are here. We're here to share the gospel. We're here to see people saved, not just here, but everywhere. That's why Jesus said, go. That's why he said, go. Action is required. Don't wait. You may be sitting there and saying, well, you know, I'm willing. I mean, you know, if somebody comes up and asks me about Jesus, then I'll tell them. That's not the command. The command to the disciples was not sit in your living room until someone asks you about Jesus and then tell them. Was that the command? No. The command was go and tell them. Go find them. Some will go near. Some of you have people that live in your house under the same roof, that eat breakfast at the same table, who need to know Jesus. You don't have to go very far. Some of you have people that live across the street or family members who live on the other side of town. Some will go near. Some will go far. Who's going to go to those 3,000 people groups who have no one telling them about Jesus? Well, maybe one of us. Maybe more than one of us. How do we pray for people's salvation? We pray for it personally, faithfully, passionately. Not like a public defender. Not like a guy who just gets an email in his inbox and says, oh, gee, i got to go defend that guy, and shows up in the jail cell and says, uh, um, um, Fred, is it? Yeah, I guess I'm defending you, so let's go. No, like a mother who is passionately defending her child against the charges. Please, please don't do this. Don't do this to my child. Motivated by her love. Can I ask you this, folks? And We're done here, but... When was the last time you pleaded for someone's salvation? Not when was the last time you asked God to save people. Not when you said the last time, God, you know, just work in this person's life. When was the last time you pleaded for their salvation? God, please, please, they need you. Save people. Change hearts and lives. Build your kingdom here. That's what we sing, right? Build your kingdom here in South Paris, Maine. Build your kingdom in Brazil. Build your kingdom in Nigeria, in Turkey, in China. This is the only thing that is going to change the world, folks. It's God saving people changing their hearts and lives. Are you begging God to save people? We should be. Paul says, look, this is a priority. This is life in the church. Beg God to build his kingdom. Come on, let's stand up and sing it, all right? Build your kingdom. Strength and courage this morning to do as you have commanded us. Father, help us to take our eyes off of just ourselves and to see all of the people around us, not only in this community, but around us in our country and in the world. You've commanded us to go, and I pray that you will give us the courage 
and the desire to do just that. Thank you for your word and your truth spoken to our hearts. I just pray that we will put it into practice this week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks, folks. Have a great week.